everybody. Welcome back to the show. Episode 98 of the podcast audio version of the show. I sat down with Brian Douglas of Good Sit Mobile and Gary Gruno, who you guys have heard on the podcast in the past. And we talked about all things trail cameras. Brian and Gary both uh, run a pretty extensive amount of trail cameras on public lands and have some pretty good success with them. Wanted to let them get on here and share some of their knowledge with you. We get a lot of questions about trail cameras. I thought they would be two good people to have on to talk about trail cameras. Brian has, as I said, a company called Good Sit Mobile. They produce some really cool um, trail camera mounts as well as second angle like GoPro mounts. Uh, to me, uh, as far as I can tell, it's probably the best trail cam mount on the market as far as public land legal. So go check them out at uh, his website, which I linked down below in the description of this podcast. He also offered a 10% discount to anybody that's listening to the show. That's also in the description, so go check that out. Before we get into the episode, just really quick, got to thank Hunting Beast Gear. If you haven't gotten your hands on a beast stand yet, go over to their website, get you an order in. Also, you guys know they have some of the best sticks on the market, kind of the trailblazer for that mobile uh lightweight super lightweight stick go to honeybeastgear.com and check those out also the guys at exodus i uh, gotta thank those guys over there they produce all kinds of awesome content if you guys haven't yet uh, go over to their youtube channel and check them out also go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and they got an extensive line of, of all kinds of stuff now that uh, they're they're producing from their trail cameras to their MMT arrows. Go check those guys out. Also, Uncle Lou over at Stealth Outdoors. You guys know Stealth Strips is one of the uh, key components of being a mobile hunter. He's really um, uh, has the market uh, cornered when it comes to the best product for silencing gear on the market. Go over to stealthoutdoors.com and get you some Stealth Strips. And finally, Osseo Gear doing the Osseo gear giveaway tomorrow night on the show. Um, I'll, I'll link the video to, to watch the video about that uh, gear giveaway. If you haven't watched that, go down to the description and watch that as well. That is going to be um, announced live on the show uh, through a comment from that video that I have linked. So watch that video. Leave a comment. The video is a minute long. It's not very, very long. And I'll, I'll pick the, the winner down uh um, below in the, in the comment section tonight on the show, Thursday night. Osseo is a, um, Osseo makes really quality uh, hunting gear for, for whitetail hunters. I think you guys would never be disappointed uh, when you if you went with Osseo for your next set of uh, camo clothing. Just go to osseogear.com. The link to that, all my partners are in the description below. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We have a couple of uh, guests on, uh, a re- repeat guest many times over now, Gary Gruno and and uh, new to the show, Brian Rogers. Brian, um, he's with Good Sit Mobile, which we'll talk about that a little bit at, at the end. Um, Gary, for sure, is one of the, uh, um, what I would consider someone that is very good with trail cameras and he runs a, a lot of them. And we get a lot of questions about trail cameras on this show. Um, and honestly, Dan doesn't run very many. Uh, it's just not something he 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 does uh, much of. So I thought it'd be good to have Gary on to talk about his strategy. And Gary, you killed a lot of deer the last several years. Would you say that trail cameras were a pretty big part of that? Like as far as finding the deer and um, all that kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel that uh, it helps me narrow down uh where a mature buck is at and gives me that advantage to kind of get in there um yeah. don't use them though to specifically pattern them per se um i just want to know when they're in the area is yeah and then brian brian on the other hand he uh he created a whole company that uh, has a really good product for for public land trail cameras really i mean i've i've I haven't messed around with a lot of public land legal mounts. Uh, just been looking at them online, you know, and yours by far was the the one that kind of um, 
impressed me the most at the uh, streamlinedness of it, I guess, if you want to say, compared to some other ones. So I thought we'd have both of you guys on and talk about public land trail cam strategies. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, no, that was one of the, what you just touched on was one of the big, uh, the biggest problems I had with the other mounts was none of them kept it up tight to the tree. All of yeah. them, you know, had it kind of, here's your tree and and then they're way out here and then you got your profile sticking way out and that was kind of defeating the purpose of trying to hide them. So, yeah. And I want to talk about your product a little bit when we get to like the, um, how you use them and maybe even some typical mistakes people make. We're just going to go through um, kind of the why we why you use trail cameras, how you use them, wh when you use them, and where do you use them, and then the the mistakes people make with, with trail cameras. And maybe that'll be a good time to bring up the mounts because I'm sure we're going to talk about hanging them high and keeping them camouflaged and all that stuff. Um, okay. So that'd be a good time to to talk about that. So everybody, stay tuned. You'll get to see this real cool uh, mounting system. And it's real affordable too. What what's the cost of a mount? Ten bucks. It's, uh, it's only ten bucks for a mount. And, yeah. Uh, so I mean, you can. You can go out and spend more than that on a screw in, you know? Yeah. You can spend a lot more than that on a public land mount too. Like a lot mm -hmm. more. Um, in fact, some of the cameras we run, I think the mount would be more than the, uh, the camera itself. Uh, so. That's about it though, is the fact that how much does an SD card now cost nowadays? I know. You know, you get one SD card stolen, you got half a mount already. Yep. A set of lithium batteries. Right. Talking about expensive. That, that is more than uh, a camera sometimes, but absolutely. Yeah. I mean, your batteries cost as much as the mount, you know, if you run in lithiums. Oh yeah. Easy. As um, much as the camera. Yeah. <laughs> well, not when, so since I, uh, I only run real cheap cameras too. So uh, whenever, whenever I was designing it, I, I asked myself, would I pay an extra 10 bucks per camera to save the amount of time? So it kind of was born out of just, you know, what what would me as a uh you know like a budget minded mobile hunter would i would i purchase this thing and so that's kind of yeah. what i was you know thinking when i was designing it so yeah for sure it's a fraction of the price of some of the other ones i've i've looked at that are publicly and legal so kudos man that's that's uh it was good looks like a good product I, like i said i just got my hands on it yesterday or day before um but i put it together this morning and um it is pretty cool uh Gary's a big fan of them. I know Gary's used them now, and I think he ordered a handful more from you. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. And oh, dude, over the years, me and Gary have t like he'll tell you we've tinkered around a lot with different mounts. Now, like we have we've brainstormed ideas of how to make them not 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 bring anything to the market or anything, just like homemade ones that we're trying to make to 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 be publicly and legal, and also not stick out like a sore thumb. You know. Well, um, well, the funny thing is, is. Uh... Uh, I was out scouting with this guy from work who has never stepped foot in the whitetail woods before Greg. And there's a, there's a video on my YouTube where it shows how unhappy he is to be out there. Cause he wasn't ready for uh, B style um, scouting, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so he was, he was like at the end, he thought that he couldn't bring any caffeine or any uh, nicotine. So he usually is like hitting his vape and drinking <laughs> his coffee or drinking his soda and stuff. And he's just, we've been out there six hours trudging through the worst crap you can think of. And he's just pissed. And anyway, um, everything was taking a lot of time while we were hanging the cameras, you know, and like, yeah. I even have a camera of him, uh, just looking super unhappy, like a picture from the trail cam of him looking super unhappy, standing there telling me if it's in the right spot. Yeah. And so, um, uh, after that trip, um, I went back to the office and actually just sat there and started um, designing it based off of just needing to save time. So, yeah. Yep. And you got a pretty cool alignment tool too that I got sitting here as well. Um, all right. Let's stop right there because we're going to get, we're going to, we're going to spill the beans before we get to the, the section where I want to talk about that. Um, and I don't care how you guys want to go about doing this. Just, just butt in anytime you, you want. Um, but let's start with like, why do you guys use, trail cameras um i don't know whoever wants to start brian or gary just whoever go ahead gary you want to go sure um so i've been using trail cameras for 25 30 years now started off string across the trail if you want to call it the original trail cameras and then went to the batteries and the uh, cameras 
where it actually put the camera in there, take pictures. But um, now what, uh, you know, obviously I've changed tactics over the years. And uh, basically my tactic is to see what is in the area at what time. Now, when I say in the area, I don't need to know the specific trail. I just want to know, is that buck using that area? Because generally what I do is I go in all year I'm in the woods, but in spring is my, and full season hunting is my biggest time when I scout. I'll scout, learn an area, figure it out, and then I'll put cameras in key areas to see when they're using it and what is using it. And from there, I will generally go in and and hunt where few of those bedding areas are or the the pinpoints coming out of those bedding areas are. Uh, sometimes I'll even um, hunt over a scrape near the bedding area. But I, I don't use those to, to pattern deer. Like some people are like, well, you know, at four o'clock with this north wind on, you know, the moon phase of this, I, that's just not me, man. Um, I will get annual data to say, all right, well, these bucks are moving in this area, breeding these group of does that say right around November 10th. Um, and then I know I need to be in there. But uh, yeah, that's basically what I do. I'll go in and uh, I'll mark on Onyx. Um, we, uh, Josh, you and I have a system where we'll go in, we'll mark on Onyx. All right, we need to get a trail camera over here. And we even have specific colors, meaning, uh, uh, we put in there like i use a violet color saying i have to get a camera in here and then um i'll change it to blue when there's a camera hanging in there and then when i pull the camera i change it to yellow that way i know what's all going on what when where how and and uh and go from there so i run about 80 to 90 cameras and so i i get a lot of intel um, my favorite though, is to go into a new area and drop three or four cameras in a new area. And it, it just gives me so much information so quick. Sometimes I'll never hunt that area and I call them soakers. I'll leave them soak and collect that Intel for the next year's hunt. Or sometimes I may go through a hunt in there and check a camera on the way in. But, um, that's generally what I do. How about you? Heck yeah. A lot of that's similar to uh, what I do a couple of tweaks, but, uh, um, so I usually put my, my cams out, um, like late July ish. I, I like, I think you start a little bit earlier than me cause you have more to get out, Gary. Um, I do, I run like 30 to 40, um, and I'd probably run more, but, uh, my little ones and you know, you know, the job and everything is uh, a little bit more demanding. So I get like, seven days to hang all my cams usually that's roughly you know a good estimate and so i always figure on like late july through um like i try to be done by first week of september hanging my cams and uh i try to you know i try to stagger them where i try to get like my i haven't used cell cams up until last year but i bought four of them and i try to get those out first to see if there's any, to, if I have to work out any kinks in them, because they're going to obviously send me and let me know if there's an issue or, you know, uh, what's going on. And then I could still have some time to get out there and mess with them if, if for some reason they're not getting signal or something like that. And then I'll, uh, then I will uh, uh, move to uh, the, uh, the SD cards for the, uh, uh, like, community scrapes and the travel corridors um, around bedding and stuff like that. And then uh, last, usually like towards the end of July, I will uh, uh, go in and scout new areas uh, and start uh, like what you said, blanketing an area. So like I'll map scout an area and then set my waypoints uh, and usually try to set like a three to seven mile, you know, usually it's like three to five mile uh, trip. And then I'll go out and I'll just drop them uh, based off of, you know, if I get in there and it's good, obviously I'm dropping them. And if not, I'm moving on. And usually what happens is, is you get out there and about five out of the seven spots you thought looked good didn't. And then usually like on a two to 400 acre chunk, you find that one little spot, you were ready to go home. And then you find that one spot that, you know, is the money spot, you know? And, uh, but anyway, 
blanket. Uh, usually you're looking for obviously scrapes, but what kind of what I like to do is I'll, I'll find like a bedding area, whether it be up, up high or down low. And then I'll try and focus on the routes coming out of that bedding area. Right. And I will usually try and find like a scrape close to bedding if I can and set up uh, a camera over that. But I might not necessarily uh, check. I, I usually don't check most of them. Most of them are soakers. But I also set up some on the perimeter, like as you get out further where you might have because usually you'll have trails coming out of bedding and then you'll have that a spot where like another couple trails meet up with that trail. And I like to put a camera there because that's far enough out from the bedding that I can check that one without bumping that deer usually. And I'm also checking sign as I'm going. So usually I'll like make a circle around the edge of the bedding area. And if there's sign opened up going back in there and I check my camera and there's something I want to shoot that's daylighting pretty regular, I might push back in and try and get closer to that other camera or that because Sometimes I will still hunt that spot closer to the, the bedding. It just all depends on what the sign and the other camera might be telling me. But a large amount of my cameras are just soakers, like you said, because I kind of mix them up between deer that I'm chasing and new areas that I'm trying to figure out. And I will completely um, eliminate 90% of, uh, of an area most of the time just based off of one year of soaking tra uh, trail cams all over it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of a mixture of both of you. It sounds like, um, I don't have 90 cameras, but I have, I probably have 30 or 40. Like you, you said, Brian, I don't know if I get them all out every year, but, um, I probably, I, I probably do whenever, cause I, I got some in Ohio and sometimes I go down to Kentucky. So once I get them all spread out there, um, they're there, but, uh, something else, I guess we could talk about, um, you guys kind of covered how you're using them, uh, and I guess why and how can be the, the same same thing. Um, Gary, you put yours out, as do I, pretty early on in the season, right? I mean, yeah. Well, um, in Indiana, uh, obviously, I've limited the amount of time. I think it was about three weekends I go there. It takes a lot longer to hang cameras in Indiana because you have so much more rain. So I tried to get those out of the way in February-ish, March. And then I try to get all the rest out by the end of June in, in Wisconsin. And there's several reasons for that. Um, one is because it's cooler during the, those times. Yeah. Uh, plus we have deer flies are just relentless. They're just horrible. So if I can get them out before those deer flies come out, I mean, mosquitoes are nothing. I have no problems with those compared to deer flies, but then, uh, another good reason is if I uh, kind of getting back to how I hang them, we have a lot of like, I would call them micro swamps where they're 20 to 40 acre swamps. And I like to put regular SD cameras around in key areas around the outside, the perimeter spots. So let's say in August, uh, early September, because our season actually opens uh, mid-September, I want to kind of get in there and check those SD cams, I can without disturbing the bedding area, which would be the swamp, uh, and see what I've got coming through. And that gives me ideas. Okay, well, I know he's using this swamp. Now I already know from previous scouting that I need to get in there and you know hunt this this area right here. So um, it does give me a head start. You know, besides the glassing and uh, spotlighting that we can legally do here in wisconsin so yeah yeah my uh my whole thing for uh hanging them uh, closer to the season on my uh sds especially is uh you uh on the cheaper cameras it seems like you get more false triggers and well, it's it's one of the things and so uh i'm trying i really like to me i know a lot of guys put uh value into their summer uh pictures but for me, it's like I really just want that in-season intel, and the closer I can get to it without affecting deer movement um, and not uh, having the chance of either false triggers or just uh, wearing down the battery life, uh, to me, is why I'm trying to do it in that short window, too. Gary, do you got any tips for people to, um, to, to keep cameras running for that long when you put them out in March? 
Well, I see. So I'm a little different than a normal average hunter. I don't just put them on trails and hope for the best. Uh, you get a lot of pictures of those. Uh, small buck. Everything uses those deer trails that are well worn in. So what I try to do is I put them in areas where I feel mature buck would um, would using it. So that means I'm going to get a lot less pictures. And my cameras, I could probably get about four thousand pictures uh, on cheap cameras uh, before the batteries go dead. So that's usually more than enough for a season for me. Um, so that's kind of where I what I do. Uh, I'm not really hunting the does per se right now uh, until rut. Uh, then I kind of want to know where those doe families are, but generally from full season and early season scouting, I, I already know where that is. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's my my take. Uh, the, the other thing is obviously making sure that I hang my cameras high. We got a lot of trail camera theft here. Uh, and this is um heavy heavily pressured area uh so i make sure you got everything you can think of out of the way that may blow around that's my my issue previous was i'd hang a camera it'd look great and then the first windstorm that comes through you'd have ten thousand pictures of leaves just yeah. mind that when you get a strong wind what what's going to be blowing out in front of that triggering that yeah um yeah those are those are good tips so gary you got you kind of mentioned you had uh you put those cameras on areas where you feel like big bucks are going to uh move a little better than those would come through you know what can you like tell kind of elaborate on that a little bit more like what kind of what do those areas look like and is there anything in particular you're looking for yeah, so generally, um, I, my favorite is obviously the, the community scrape right outside the bedding area or between two bedding areas. Mm -hmm. That is king. And um, hubs in Indiana, uh, that hub scrape at the bottom of a, a long drainage, um, those, those are for sure uh, my number one. But it could be, depending on the area that you're hunting, you know, this year I'm really focusing on a lot of swamps with Eric. And uh, those kind of areas, I, I find the buck bedding, and then I'll either find uh, the first trail coming out of that buck bedding area or um, a pinch point real close to that buck bedding area. Uh, so then more than likely, I get mostly bucks on those cameras. I won't get a lot of pictures because, yeah. you know, if I want to shoot a two-year-old, you know, I can put it on that main trail and get all kinds of pictures of two-year-olds and one-year-old. But I really try for that mature buck set. Usually I find that they, they act a little different than a two-year-old would. So that's kind of what I do. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Um. Something else I was going to ask, how do you guys keep track of all, I mean, even, even 30 or 40 cameras is a lot, you know, Brian, um, mm -hmm. how, how do you guys go about keeping track of everything? Well, I keep, I, so I write a number on my camera, a number on my SD cards, you know, one there's, two, I keep two for each cam and then I number them whenever I put them into, uh, my, uh, like I actually, whenever I'm formatting them, I put that number on them and then I put that number on them in my Onyx. And then whenever I go to put them and actually uh, I, I will structure it by year. And then whenever I'm putting it in, it'll be by piece of public uh, inside of the year folder. And then inside of that, it will be 
the you know you you'll have your number so then but like i'll put something that i can remember too inside that piece of public so i might have piece of public and then uh north of whatever road old fence because i might have three cameras around that area and so then i can quickly go in and click and you know at that point i don't have to look up my number if i'm only have to pick from three i can click on one of those if i'm looking for something or if i want to scan that area i can go through all three of those and uh what i like to do is just especially when i'm coming up on season because like just right now i'm getting them all ready um, to go out and formatting and everything like that um, and it's a really good refresher uh, because like i'll go through there and there's bucks i forgot about or times of year that were hot in spots that i totally forgot about and uh you know because you're fixated on maybe one or two bucks but you know there's a couple bucks that uh you'll you'll definitely forget about running that many cameras or or spots you know that uh, got hotter than what you thought in your mind just because you may have wrote them off at the time because it wasn't like 10 bucks in there daylighting or you know whatever but uh you go back in there and go damn that was a pretty damn good buck and he was daylighting you know right there and there was another decent buck like maybe there was a doe that was coming in or something like that that's worth noting you know so oh, another thing i bring up uh another topic is uh i don't know if you noticed brian i'm sure you have but uh, i talked about this that some of these bucks look smaller than reality mm-hmm at these pictures on trail cams yep uh, perfect case scenario is the buck that i shot last year uh i happened to go up and all uh, get back in there about two miles walk up a real steep but i get back in there and i checked the camera on the way in and i saw the on my camera that i ended up shooting and i looked at that picture because i was just flying through the pictures you know i had a card in my uh cell cam and i was just kind of looking through and i'm like yeah and i didn't see what i liked so i moved up closer to the bedding area and that buck came down and that's the buck i shot and he was he was just a super heavy heavy 10 pointer that i would never pass normally <laughs> Yeah, I think I think mass is one of the things that's really hard to judge off of a trail camp yeah. uh, because I've I've been uh, mistaken multiple times on mass. Like, uh, you know, you can tell width pretty well and and height of tines and whatnot. But until you get up there and actually hold that, you know, that tine a lot of the times, it's really hard to tell on how thick and heavy horned a deer is, you know, especially if you're hanging your cameras high in the, in the air. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. If you put them at your waist, you get a good picture of them, you know, a good realistic picture. But, you know, that's there's a lot of problems with doing that. Um, so uh, let's talk about that for a minute. How do you guys go about hiding your your cameras from one from deer and then two from, you know, the public walking around? Because I think, Brian, you pretty much exclusively hunt pub public, right? In, yeah, in I'm I'm 100 uh, percent public. I mean, yep. if I take my daughter out, we'll go to like a family farm or something like that. But uh, even then. Sure. Uh, me and her, me and my eight-year-old, we did our first uh, hanging hunt together last year, so that was kind of cool. There you go. But um, yeah, so uh, whenever I'm going out, uh, like we are, like the deer, you can get them up out of their face at like eight, eight foot roughly. But for people, you want to be 10, 12 feet. And I hear a lot of people say that's too high and it affects the, um, you know, your angle's too steep and you're cutting out a lot of your... Um, picture area but i just get focused on this one spot where you know you get multiple lines of movement or just that one trail and and uh, as long as you have that position correctly um then you're you know you're in good shape so um for me though uh i'd never put it in line with the trail so i'm never like i'm never like here's the trail i'm never going to set up so that i'm just looking down that trail or looking from behind that trail and, and I'm also not going to go straight to the side. What I like to be is like cut that in half. If ideally I would like to be over here, angled down at, you know, at the way that they're coming in. Um, Cause that gives you enough time for the triggers to react and uh, for you to get still actually have decent shots at good pictures. Whereas I know they say that they're set up for them to be uh, like when they're going by horizontally, you know, uh, for them to get, that's supposed to be like your best uh, trigger speed and all that stuff. But I find that like 
I can't judge a deer as well from the side angle as I can from, you know, the front or the back. Um, and so I would rather have a little bit better picture if possible. And so I really, really like being in that, you know, cutting that side and front in half if I possibly can. It's not always possible. Um, but uh, I will never, if at all, you know, last resort would be to put it right in line with that trail um, for people. Um, I mean, deer too, but people, when they're walking, they're going to see, you know, they're going to be looking right in front of them a lot of times. And the other thing I will do is I'll look around for a tree that is not something that, so when I go into an area and I'm going to climb a tree to hunt it, I'm scanning the bigger trees that look like they're huntable trees. So I'm looking for something that is uh, not something that somebody's going to hunt most of the time. And then the other thing is um, if I can find it, I like to use black locust trees because they got those big spikes on them, you know, and I'll just take my saw and I'll cut just enough, like not cut, but like rub just enough off on the side. I'll go up on my stick and then I'll leave as many as I can. And this, this really sucks because you're going to get stuck when you're doing this and it's pretty dangerous. So do this at your own peril. But most people are not going to go up for a $30 camera with, uh, on a black locust tree. Uh, at least I've never had one stolen yet. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, in a nutshell, I, you know, I'm trying to put it on the shady side of the tree and, uh, you know, pointing North is good as you guys know, but when you're at, when you're at an angle, that doesn't always matter. Um, uh, because you know, you're not necessarily pointing at a horizon a lot of the times. Um, so, and I, you know, I like a shady area anyway, um, to help keep down the false triggers whenever possible. Uh, but, uh, mainly if I can just get it on the shady side of the tree, it really helps hide it. And then I just kind of walk through and look and think if I could see it, um, if I was a human walking through, um, I'm probably not going to put it there. So. Yeah. So those are all very good points, Brian. Um, something that I, that I like to do too, is keep in consideration where the trail is. Keep that camera to the side so I don't have to cross that trail to check that camera is kind of a big thing for me. But kind of getting back to the camouflage, something that actually Josh taught me was we take and we spray paint these cameras. Mm -hmm. We just take, I just made a tree bark thing out of a piece of cardboard and I'll spray paint it with like black uh and then flip it over and then spray paint it with a like a mossy oak or a tan which helped tremendously yeah camouflaging but you know looks looks yeah. way better than my sharpie paint job yeah well yeah. my camera's horrible but <laughs> yeah um this one's painted too uh, oh that, yeah josh showed me that i was like what mm -hmm. dude that's awesome and it takes a little bit extra, and I do that during the winter, so that way the smell of the spray paint goes away. Obviously, I wouldn't do this and then put a camera out a day later, um, because there is a, definitely a smell to it. But um, actually, I started off with using these screw-ins, and then trying to make public land legal, I made these brackets here. Uh, out of aluminum C channel and then use zip ties, which were great up until I learned about your system. But uh, zip tie, uh, a real big thing. I zip tie a bunch of zip ties together and zip it around the tree, which was nice. It held them tight, but I had some issues with some zip ties. You can get cheap zip ties and then they break. Um, and don't, don't oh i don't order them off of amazon that's something i learned while running this uh <laughs> business is i anymore at all hopefully right uh yeah well well the, the zip ties on amazon i bought like a giant bulk amount I was like all right i'm just gonna get you know a bunch of these these so i can have them to send out with the product and all of them are crap so yeah that's been anybody... me gary's experience too yeah yep. but um and, and now as far as hiding them, I, I like to find something with backdrop. So, so like, uh, let's say, because I, I hunt a lot of swamps, uh, there'll be a tree that comes up and it'll be a branch that kind of goes off to the side. I kind of like to get in those areas that'll break the pattern apart and get them up in that area. And usually I like to do the same thing as you, Brian, just kind of a, a quartering towards or quartering away shot. Uh, because deer still do see those red 
red flashes. I my mm-hmm. I how I feel. Uh, the big thing though is when I do mount these cameras is we have a lot of raccoons around here, and uh, I'll tell you what, a raccoon loves that red flash. They will climb that tree and hang on that thing and look right into your camera. And around here, it's between 20, 30 pound coons are are very common. So if you don't have that camera strapped down good, that raccoon's going to knock it down. And if it's a soaker camera, you won't know until February, March. And there you sit with zero intel. That, that was one of the things with the uh, the screw-ins that was kind of my issue too, was you have, uh, you know, that uh, contact point that uh, can, it, it would still pivot no matter how tight you would tighten it sometimes. And uh, sometimes some of them have two different contact points. So some of them you have an up and down and a, a pivot on it. And, uh, or, you know, you have those ball mounts and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep, that goes up and down and pivots around. And I have to constantly tighten these things up because over time they just loosen your camera flop around. But this also was a screw-in system. And what I did was I drilled two holes for zip ties. There again, it's sticking six inches out from the tree. So it's a little tougher to hide that. But yes, you're right. Sorry about that, Brian. Yeah, no, it, it was... Uh... Uh, that was, that was one of the big things is I would have, I would have squirrels and, uh, birds and coons, um, come down and, uh, mess with, um, screw in mounts. And, uh, I just kind of, when I was designing the screw stick, like the mount, it actually, uh, was just a byproduct of what I was thinking was that it, uh, it gives you three points of contact. So, you have the bottom touching, you have your uh, paracord or your strap is touching, and then you have the mount touching, and it creates a, a three points of contact system that just kind of locks it in. As you twist it, it makes it tighter and locks it into the tree. So you don't have any of those those weak points that can move around. I think hiding, hiding your camera is probably the most overlooked thing on uh, – I'm not talking about stealing, people stealing it, but for – getting pictures of big bucks. I don't, I think public land, you know, you can get away with it over a mineral side on private land. You can just put it on a fence post, you know, uh, but on public land where they're constantly getting harassed uh, or smelling people. Um, I think, I think getting them in the air, doing the things like you guys said, that's probably one of the most over overlooked things. You want to talk about this uh, mount a little bit now? Yeah. I can, I can show everybody what, what it looks like here. Here it is um, outside of the uh, off the camera here. And essentially, Brian, you can do a better job of explaining this to me. I literally just put this together, but it, go, <laughs> yeah. it goes on the back of your, your camera and you zip tie to the uh, mounts on your that uh, are on the back of most all cameras. Right. Yep. So uh, the uh, it's, Let me put mine away. This is the original design here. Uh, so you basically have ports on each side of it. Let me see if I can get up in the camera. So you have ports on each side that run all the way through the body of the uh, the mount, and then you also have uh, you also have these mount these uh, ports right here on the back that actually go through at an angle to those. So um, like on your old school, what you're like your wild game Terra series. Uh, which I run a lot of because they were cheap, you know, um, you can just go on the corners because they have like a weirder mounting system. So if you have something that's got a wider thing and not those rails, it'll still work. And then um, kind of the newer, this this newest model that we just kind of, uh, we redesigned for the, uh, the Tacticam reveal stuff because people, while it was working, because, uh, you know, they have those posts that stick out um, and you could put it out on those posts with just the old one, but this now, it will fit right up tight to it and those posts uh fit on top of it so so far besides the tacticam reveal now that we uh took care of that i haven't found one that it doesn't work on yet so um and then so it's it's a two-part system comes with a screw um and then also on top of it you have a bubble level and uh some people might think that the bubble level is unnecessary but when you're up there on weird angled trees or bigger trees that are also like maybe leaning out over like uh you know to the side or something like that 
I've gotten down before and thought that my camera was straight up and down, um, but it's actually at an angle. And then what that does with your, uh, with your sensor, the big thing, it wouldn't be a big deal if it was just a sideways picture, but your sensors are going to be like, you know, at an angle and they're not going to um, trip at the right time. And you might get some false or some late triggers. And so for, so you really want it to be up and down, uh, you know, as level as you can. So that's kind of what the, the mount uh, in and of itself is. But then when it's mounted, the other nice thing is um, it gives you a place, oh, it gives you a place to store um, your paracord um, system around it. Um, and then uh, I actually run like my screw down inside of my mount here or mm -hmm. up on top here. And then when I get to my, the, the biggest thing that I want people to understand is the system was designed to uh, um, save time. So when I'm going out there, I don't want to be um, hanging cameras. I want to be scouting. And I just want the camera uh, set up to be really quick and easy. And so I designed it with um, the mount and then the uh, paracord attachment with the Prusik. So uh, whenever I get up on the tree, I will just take and uh, I'll attach my uh, paracord here like that, pull it tight, screw it uh, with the screw uh, on the mount. And then uh, once I get it exactly kind of close to where I want it, I will put this guy here on it, uh, which is the laser pointer. And a lot of the times uh, I don't even necessarily attach it. You can when you're getting it set up, but a lot of the times I'll just take and uh, it's got a little uh, uh, castration band on it. You turn it on, you put it right up to your uh, uh, lens. It shows you exactly where you're at. You can make your adjustments and then you get down and you go to your next site. So for me, it cut down like uh, 20 minutes of camera hanging, uh, like on average at a site. Yeah. Uh, Gary was praising this, this little thing the other day it's just a um yeah essentially a laser pointer here for for that that was that's pretty that's pretty nifty because that is a pain especially if you're by yourself um yeah that that laser pointer though you can't just use a regular laser pointer because you need that um that surface area to cover that lens so you can get the proper angle of your sensor and uh i tried it a few days ago i got my hands on uh a couple of your your uh, mounts, Brian. I tried that, like you told me to do, and I was like, that first camera, man. I, I tell you, I've already went up and down those sticks twenty times to get it exactly where I want. <laughs> yeah, and I, I literally went up, and I used your system, and I pointed it. I was like, wow, and and then uh, I I got the exact spot where I wanted to detect. Now, mind you, I actually, I lasered the spot about two feet back from the trail where I was trying to monitor because those deer are a little bit higher. You don't want to be pointing down with your legs. You want to be at about mid body is what I try to do. And then the next camera I did was a little bit of a struggle because it was super bright, sunny day in tall grass. And so I didn't use it there. And I get back to you and, um, and, you know, and I talk to you a little bit about it. And he's like, well, you have your backpack, lay your backpack down and um, shoot the laser on that. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I did seven more cameras uh, a, a few days ago. And man, did that work. That That is, that saved me a lot of time. I was able to get seven cameras out in in uh one afternoon which is a lot for me so uh i can't say enough about that laser idea i know a lot of people like using their cameras i tried it and you can't ever get that exact angle of that lens that that was my thing that people were saying with the camera like i i had been using so when i first released this stuff everybody was saying like you can use a stick and you can use your camera and I've been using a stick for a long time and it definitely works. And I've been using my camera and you can get by with both of those. But when you're when you're hanging elevated cams, you really need precision because of, like you said, you don't want to be cutting off the top of your deer or getting late triggers. Um, and so for me, I needed something that showed me the exact spot where my lens and my sensor were pointed. And uh, I wasn't OK with like. So when you're up there with your phone 
and you know you're you're tired and you're sweaty and stuff like that and you're sitting there trying to get it just level just right and look out and see if your your uh you know your camera is in the right spot as where your phone camera is and stuff like that and then you're still having to kind of guesstimate where the center is so um, it just wasn't an exact science and I needed something that was like telling me really quickly, really easily, is this in the right spot without me getting down and having to check it. So, uh, something else that this eliminates <clears throat> and like Gary was talking about uh, zip ties, we've been using zip ties this year to put up cameras. Um, but can you, can you go over this Prusik knot a little more, Brian, uh, and do it a little more up, up, up close. Cause I, I don't think we saw that real well. I think this is yeah. a big advantage. Yeah. So um uh, can't get too close because the light washes it out it looks like but uh fine. so this little clip um uh, put your I hand behind it, it like this yeah like that there you there go. We go so uh this little clip here it's called the parabiner um uh, only because it's like a paracord carabiner was my idea when i was making it but uh it's basically just a uh, attachment clip that you can run paracord through the bottom of and um, attach it. I just run a little, uh, little, uh, you know, quick, easy uh, uh, slip knot on there, and then I tie a uh, double fisherman's knot of uh, 325 paracord on the 550 cord, and then turn that into a Prusik knot. Okay, and same idea as like your um, safety harnesses that guys have been using for years with the Prusik knot on it. I'm not big on Prusik knots for when you have a load on because they're hard to break. Um, but, um, or like when you have like a heavy load, like your, your body weight, but it's really a good knot if you want to grab really tight in a situation like this. And so it makes, it makes the whole system a lot easier because before when I had paracord, you either had to tie a, like a, a couple of crazy knots or I would use the cam jam. Um, and that's just bigger and has like some metal pieces on there. And then you still, after you ran it through, you had to sit there and, and tie some weird knots. So what I wanted to eliminate there was time, ease of use. And then also when I came back six, seven months later and I had a, had a uh, camera soaking, I ended up cutting the paracord before because those knots get dry rotted and, uh, it just is kind of a pain in the butt and you're, you're just ready to get the camera home. So you cut your paracord and you go home. Well, this guy just is a quick attachment, slides right into the, uh, uh, well, slides right in there and then you pull it tight. And then I attach a little bitty, uh, what, let's see if you can see it over there. You see it. Yeah, attach a little hair tie there. And uh, so instead of any knot, it kind of goes along with uh, the mount is when you're done, you sit there and you can wrap your excess around and then throw your, uh, your hair tie around the mount and then you're done and you come back six, seven months later, you just pop that off and you pop the whole system off. So there was just nothing available that was anything like what I wanted to use. And so I went back and, and originally just had uh, made this stuff because I needed something that was much easier and quicker. And then once I realized how, uh, how well it worked, that's when I decided, Hey, maybe other guys out there might like this stuff. So. Yeah, when I when I tried that out, I'm not a, a rope rope knot guru. I don't like screwing around out in the field, honestly. Just tend to get me frustrated and simple. Keep it that's <laughs> so I was a little bit concerned watching video, yeah, names, cruising, that, whatever. Uh and when I when I did it the first time, uh, and I actually pulled it tight because Josh and I, Josh tried hanging some cameras here, paracord, and uh, it, it, the cameras banging around, and you're trying to tie it, loosens up on you. Well, when I when I hooked it around uh, that and cinched it tight, it was there. I mean, it was there. I was like, holy cow, this is awesome, and then. You just tie a knot to keep that from moving. Uh, just a, a real quick, anybody that. And uh, I was like, well, what the heck? This is uh, why reinvent the wheel. And the guys have already done it here. Uh, I loved it. Like it was one, two, three, and then have that adjustable. Um, yeah. Uh, you, ju you, just, you just a pitch with the, the rod then. 
I'll be honest with you, guys who put sticks in their cameras, I'll spot a mile away too, because you're on a vertical tree with a vertical camera, and now you put a horizontal stick behind it. It just, I'll see it. I just, my eyes are so in tune with looking for cameras that that and um, straps from cameras are just uh, real simple. And with that paracord and it being dull colored, not like um, glossy zip tie or something, I was like, man, this is. Uh, well, I specifically, I specifically uh, use a certain color of, uh, of paracord too, which is olive drab, because if you just get a regular green, it's got that shiny uh, kind of uh, tint to it. You know what I mean? And so this stuff is the best stuff that I found as far as like blending into most situations. So uh, like the whole thing is, is kind of thought out for what we do. And uh, that's, that's kind of the, you know, when I used to use the sticks, like you were saying, I used to have to go and find a stick, right? So you're standing there at a site, you're looking around for a stick, and then you get up there and then you set the stick behind it. And then you got to sit there and get down, figure out if it's pointing in the right spot. You're up and down two or three times. And then a lot of the times when you leave, you're not even, you're, you're not even feeling secure that that stick is going to stay in that spot for the whole time that you're up there. Uh, because, you know, you have to like wedge it down in there. And a lot of times it's, it's a stick. You're not sure on how solid it's going to be up there, or if it's going to break off or whatnot. So there was just a lot of, uh, a lot of issues that, you know, I had with using the stick system. So. Yep. All right. Uh, I'm going to link Brian, I'm going to link, uh, your company where people can buy these products in the bottom. You guys, you have like, this is a, a GoPro kind of mount, like a second angle type mount you could put on a tree as well, right? Yeah. So, uh, any guys out there who self film, uh, this is, uh, this is a second angle GoPro mount. Um, they're just, again, there wasn't really anything I was using the, uh, the kind of the stands that have the little twisty legs that you can put on sticks and stuff like that, um, for running the GoPro 360. And, uh, for you guys that self film, this is a kind of a different option. It's got uh, a paracord attachment method similar to the other product, but uh, you also can use it on a his strap, a regular strap, or um, your uh, tether or lineman's belt as well. So uh, pretty versatile little guy. And then you have where you can make it as big as small as you like. So if you're not wanting to keep it way out from the tree, you can have it just be uh, a little guy that's right up above you. And uh, it's kind of nice because... Um, before you kind of had to hope that there was going to be a small tree that you could wrap your, uh, your mount on. So. Yep. And then you got a bow holder as well, or a gear holder with the same, yeah, same kind of system. Yep. Same kind of system, same idea. Try to keep it uh, low profile on the tree, quick, easy. And, uh, it's a little bit different than, uh, what, uh, your other guys are offering only because your other guys have your, uh, attachment up here on your bow holder. This keeps you tight to the tree. Um, so for you guys that are saddle hunting that have to keep your, your, um, your bow real, you know, real tight to the tree, uh, this makes it to where you're right up against the tree. And, uh, also you kind of wedge it down kind of like a stick and then it keeps it a little bit more solid. So it doesn't want to come up when you grab your bow. It doesn't want to lift up with your bow. Perfect. Well, yeah, go check out Brian's, um, good sit mobile, right, Brian? Yes, sir. Good sit mobile. Um, link in the description below. Uh, we've been on here for about an hour, guys. Can you think of anything else? I think there was one, one other thing I wanted to talk about. Um, and that's kind of mistakes that people make wanted to get your guys opinion. The biggest mistakes you you've, you've seen people make when you're walking around the woods. I'm sure both of you noticed trail cameras and probably think to yourself, what the heck was that guy thinking? You know? So what's the, what's the, uh, a couple big mistakes you see people make when they're using their trail cameras? Um, me, it's uh, when people put those cameras, even if it's in steel boxes, down low and about four feet up and right in the trail that that deer is going to go down. I, I stumbled across one once and I was just like, it's, it's literally in the deer's face. You think it's not going to realize the flash, much less the smell that'll stay on there for like a month or two? Um, 
And the other mistake I know is huge for, for actual people using trail cameras is because they don't see deer on the trail camera. They don't think the deer are using it. Perfect. Uh, I, I kind of feel for every picture of a, a, a deer that you're getting, you're missing six other ones because there's so many other trails, so many other found. That's huge. Uh, one time I had a, a cell cam out and I threw a opening day deer hunt in there. I was getting a few deer here and there, but I just knew that these white oaks were dropping. And uh, I went and put a sit in there. I had 19 deer around me and that cell camera only got two. Now, if I didn't hunt that, I would have thought, well, there was only two deer that came through that area because they're all over. Um, that was uh, a real eye-opener to me. So just because you're not seeing them on the trail camera doesn't mean they're not there. So those are probably my two. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you there, Gary. Um, far, I mean, no matter how many trail cams you run, you still have to kind of trust your scouting and your gut sometimes because uh, I have I have that happen all the time where you're like, oh, well, you know, there's only two-year-old bucks or, you know, uh, just does in here and then you go in and throw a sit and you see it you know you see a good buck and you can't just rely on trail cams uh you know solely you have to still have you know some some woodsmanship and some scouting involved as well that you put together with your trail cam and then you, you kind of put the puzzle pieces together uh, one other thing though like just for people hanging the cams that i see is they make their own screw-in mounts from the hardware store and uh with like metal pieces on the bottom right and then they'll spray paint over it, but that spray paint kind of wears off and then it's shiny. It, like you have like a little shiny uh, piece of metal up there on the bottom of it. And those stick out like a sore thumb to me. So uh, oh. I know you guys, it, I understand saving a buck and uh, you know, if that's the only thing you got, it works. But uh, uh, to me uh, that would be, you know, I don't want something shiny given my location away. That'd be the worst thing that I, I feel like I could do to try to hide it. So, yep. Another thing I would, those are all good points, guys, but something else I would say is like people don't plan out how they're going to come in and check them um, efficiently as far as not getting sent on trails, you know, walking, having to walk into a, uh, or around a bedding area that, you know, your scent's going to blow into all those kind of things. People tend to forget about whenever they're hanging a trail camera, especially in the summertime when you're nonchalantly walking through the woods, you know, um, you got to really think about how I'm going to get in here and check this without making much disturbance. One more thing too, most, most people don't put enough stock into historical data. Um, I've killed two or three nice bucks off historical data. And yeah. if you, if you only hunted a season based off of, if you ran 30 cams and you only pick spots based off of the previous year's movement in each of those spots, eventually you're going to run into a nice buck. So, I mean, uh, you know, it's not that simple. You still have to plan your entrance routes and you still have to make sure your wind and thermals are right. But if you just, if you specifically just jumped around based off historical data, uh, those big bucks, as they get older, their habits, start, their habits are what are the, usually are the only chink left in their armor because their core area shrinks so much that, uh, you know, the only, the only way that you can kill them is to figure out what they, what, what some kind of pattern and sometimes it's not a pattern within a couple of days where you can get a cell cam pick and then go in there after them because they've already been there. But if you can figure out where they were last year and go back in there and get on them, um, that's that's like your biggest ally. Yeah. Uh, I kind of feel that different dual groups come in to eat at different times of the year. I've I found areas where they already started coming into heat in mid-October and then other areas it isn't until like November 10th. Um, so a lot of times the does that are born in that area will a lot of times stick around that area and their young will follow the same kind of estrus pattern. Um, so, you know, you have early season rut, I should say early rut areas and late rut areas. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed that on your trail cams. Um, oh, but yeah. I did a, a study once, uh, and elbow surgery so i went through all my pictures in indiana i was trying to pick out the week during rut i wanted to go by josh for some running so i took all my pictures and 
did a study to see when the most buck movement was, and that was really interesting. Uh, November 4th, I believe it was, was the, the number one day. The number two day was November 3rd. That kind of helped me to say, hey, if I'm going to hunt rut in Indiana, at least by Josh, this is what about time I'd like to be there for all these sits. Yep. So, cool. um, but there is a lot of information you can get off trail cams. I had a picture of a, a giant uh, eight pointer that I coming back to the same piece of public right around October 18th, two years in a row. Same spot, and uh, I went in there the 3rd, October 18th, and some guy had uh, trimmed a bunch of shooting lanes illegally and uh, did some illegal stuff, so I abandoned the area, unfortunately. So, uh, But, man, this buck was like, it was like, I couldn't believe it. It was like it was scheduled out. So, yeah, yep. there's a lot you can learn from trail cameras, for sure. Well, one thing too that um, I learned from running a lot of cams on public that previously when I hunted public I had I had views on what I thought bucks and deer did as opposed to after and one of the biggest takeaways is how one how little pressure there is even when you when something looks like a high pressured area how few humans I actually get on my cams and then two is how you would think um, that if there was multiple people in an area that it's going to push bucks out. But I, I don't see that at all. I see big bucks. Uh, once they kind of learn an area and know it and feel like they're uh, safe in an area, like uh, the human pressure, they're just good at, they're just good at knowing when somebody's coming in and getting out of there, but they tend to be, uh, they tend to be very comfortable in the areas where they feel safe and they will not be affected just because somebody walks through there. Whereas before I would have thought if somebody goes through there, they're in the next County. Uh, but uh, you know, those big bucks, uh, it's hard to push them out of an area once they really, really get comfortable in there. So, One more thing uh, before we get off here, guys. Cell cams versus SD card cams. When are you guys putting out cell cams, and when do you decide to put a SD card cam out? Uh, for my cell cams, I like to get them out now. Um, I, I, a lot of those cell cams I'll put into um, – uh, near buck bedding areas to monitor them. And uh, if I get them in now, uh, I'm not disturbing them because it's like putting, like Dan Info says, it's like putting another hunting on them. And this time of year, I can get away with a lot more than I would, let's say, in August, September. Um, SD card, uh, I just, I try to get them all in pretty early. Uh, but, um, that's not it because I put those around the outside edges of swamps and um, not as big of a deal for me, but I still like to get them out before the deer flies start. Yeah. So I, uh, I like to uh, put my cells, like I said, I just started using them last year. Um, I wasn't, I was kind of back and forth on the idea of them, but then I kind of came around and said, well, you know, I need a little bit of, uh, you know, something with having the younger kids and being able to not being able to have the time I needed to figure out a way to save some time. So, uh, I, I bought four of them and I put them all on like centralized, um, community scrapes for, uh, uh, inventory purposes, or at least to know what was coming in the area. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of which direction that they were coming off of, you know, maybe what bedding uh, they were coming out of or whatnot, but just to give me a good overall view of each little area that, um, uh, and I split it up. Two of them went into areas where, um, I had deer I was hunting and two of them went into new areas where I was trying to figure out what was in there. And so, uh, it was cool. I liked it. The one thing that, uh, um, I was worried about that was true was, uh, I was checking my phone like a crackhead every, <laughs> every five minutes. And, uh, when I'm at work, I can't focus. And when I'm at the house, I'm looking at giant, you know, giants or something like that. And so I got my boss and wife sitting there mad at me. So, but caution to those that are getting into cell cameras <laughs> yeah i i already am ate up with deer hunting i don't need to be reminded that i should be out there every five minutes but it, it's here anyway <laughs> yeah change the settings on it yeah oh that's funny but the sd cards are 
I soak my SDs like most, you know, it's not yeah. a new, it's hard. We're not recreating the wheel. It's just, uh, I will soak them and only check. So the thing that I do differently than a lot of guys that I hear is they go in and they'll check their SDs right before season and then go in um, and hunt it later or whatnot. But once I hang those cams, I am not touching them until I'm hunting right next to it or I'm coming back in January, February, because uh, that historical data is more important than the data this year to me. So yeah. I place so much more importance on undisturbed movement on those cameras um, than I do on getting intel on whether or not a buck's in there. I think those are all all good tips. I mean, I cell camera wise, I just I put them in spots that I either feel that there's a, a giant I want to go after or it's hard to get to, you know, where I don't want to have to go back in and out. And um, it has to have a lot of potential for me to drop a, a cell camera in it. So not unlike you guys, it doesn't sound like. So, all right, guys, we've been on here for about an hour. Um, if you guys have any questions, leave them in the comments and maybe Brian and Gary can hop on and try to answer uh, a few. Don't forget to head over and check out good sit mobile you guys need some some accessories or uh, trail camera mounts but guys thanks for hopping on with me today uh, yeah it was hey, good lot, Dash. yeah uh before you leave hit the like button subscribe to the channel and we'll uh talk to you guys oh something else i gotta say tomorrow night if you're listening to this on wednesday night um we're doing the osseo gear giveaway i've had i've reached out to two people the last two weeks and nobody's gotten back with me so i'm just gonna uh do the giveaway tomorrow night. Yeah, hey, I'll take it. Definitely. Yeah, Gary has Gary got some new osseo gear. What do you think yeah. of it, Gary? Oh, that's all I gotta say is wow. Yeah, you never really had any high end camo, have you, Gary? Ever? I had matching camo for crying out loud. So yeah. <laughs> had the opportunity to get some, and uh, I am super happy. The uh, pockets are all in the right spots. That, like you said, Josh, I just it's comfortable. The sizing. I was a little bit nervous about it, um, but man, I, I went with what they their sizing was. It was spot on. Yep. All right, everybody. Have a good night. See you later. See ya. See you guys.